when you would go to the Babylonian Empire, oh my God, stop it, just think about 300. I got you back, cool, we're all excited. When you'd go to the Babylonian Empire, you go to the boundary of it, and they have these gigantic stones set up on the boundary, right, to mark you're about to enter the Babylonian Empire's territory. What's on the stone? I talked about it before, right? Rosetta Stone. That's where we get that term from, from that software we buy once and never use, okay? Awesome. And on it are all of the laws and all of the statutes of the nation in every single language of the people around. So when you walk up, you have no excuse. This is what I'm getting into. I had better adhere to what they are expecting of me. And when we come here into the Sermon on the Mount, that is essentially what Jesus is doing. He is, he is a, being established as king in the first four chapters of Matthew. He's being established and he's preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And then he comes forward and he's got the congregations all around him. And he begins to preach what the kingdom is. And the main point I want everyone to take away is God is concerned with what is on the inside more so than he is concerned with what is on the outside. As Jesus said, if you clean the inside of the cup, the outside will be clean. When Samuel was before the sons of Jesse to replace Saul, Saul was an awesome uh, figure, right? right? He cut a figure. He was imposing. He was tall. He was strong. He was very handsome. He was very wealthy. The Bible says these things explicitly, and yet God was not in him because his heart was wrong. And when Samuel's standing before the sons of Jesse, they're all awesome, incredible, hardworking, strong. They're not out in the fields with the sheep, which is a disgusting job. It really is a disgusting job, and yet God rejected all those guys because he was concerned with what is on the inside. And that right there, as he was establishing a king, speaks, and we do not understand that, but he's speaking to kingdom. I am concerned with what is on the inside. And so here is Jesus. I almost said Jesse. <laughs> Love you, girl. I got Jesse on my mind. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Jesse. Right, okay. Um, I got her on my mind. I love her, right? She's pregnant. Obviously, I love her. All right, cool. <laughs> um kid too, right? Baby? Mom, I'm so sorry. You're sitting right there. Well, you, you got to know. We're on kid too, mom. Sorry. All right. Anyways, I got Jesse on my mind. So anyways, Jesus, right, is telling us, guys, there has to be a change within you. The Pharisees are telling you stuff that's not even in the law. So when you hear people, Pastor West talked about this, talk about how Jesus broke the law. No, Jesus broke the expectations of the Pharisees who imposed, as we understand from um, uh, Colossians, uh, self-imposed religion is not religion. They have imposed a religion upon the people, and Jesus is breaking that yoke. As he says to the Pharisees, you put burdens on them you yourselves are not capable of carrying. And here he is saying, guys, stop focusing on looking good. Be good. Be good. The Bible talks about character, especially in Romans chapter 5. It talks about how hardship gives us strength of character. Through our strength of character, we have a confident hope in our salvation, right? Character, behind closed doors, who are you? When you come into church with the face on, you play church. We're going to get to a section here. Not all who say, Lord, Lord. Right? We all know that. We're, we're, we're going to get to that. You can live your entire life going to church thinking you're right, but you're not. And if that puts fear in your heart, I don't mean to make you feel insecure about where you're at. It's important to check these things. But the Bible does say the beginning of wisdom is fear of the Lord. Do I fear not being right before my God? Or am I more concerned with what people think about me? I struggle with that every single day. 
opinions, people's opinions of me is one of the biggest struggles in my life. I want people to think good about me. But you know what? As I, I'm only 27, all right, but, but as, I'm, as I'm getting older, right, as I'm, as I'm getting up there in years, um, people's opinions of me doesn't really pay my bills, doesn't make me feel good about myself, it doesn't, it doesn't help my marriage, it doesn't help me raise my children, it certainly doesn't uh, keep me away from the things that, that, that want to pull me back into the world. In fact, sometimes it, it makes things worse, and sometimes it does nothing. It, what I'm saying is people's opinions of me do not matter. What matters is that I am acting and being and thinking like a man of God so I may influence people towards the kingdom of God. Like, that's, that, is, that is me I, living every day, working every day, doing as excellently as I can everything that I put my hands to because I'm an ambassador of the kingdom of God and I want them to know what they should be a part of. Because all these other religions, all these other philosophies, none of them, and again, <laughs> people think that I'm going to be super pig-headed and narrow-minded. We're going to get to that in the Bible today. Awesome. I am very narrow-minded. Absolutely. Jesus is the only way. And I cannot allow other people to think that these other ways are fine. I have to bring forward the message of the kingdom because if I don't, if they do not know Jesus, where do they go? So us as a church, a Christian church across the entire nation have been failing. We have been in a culture war probably for all time, but especially here in America. We have turned from godliness. We have thrown it away, and we have decided we're going to do our own thing because it makes me feel good. I'll tell you what, following that, it makes me feel good. I have followed that so many times in my life, and it does not make me feel good. It makes me more broken. It makes me more empty. The greatest service we can do to people is to present the true, real gospel. Amen? To not, to not capitulate to culture. To not just bow down and say, whatever you guys want, this is a hot-button topic. I won't bring it up because of how you were raised, because of who you are, because of your skin color, because of your gender, because of whatever, because of your upbringing, because of your personality, because of any disorder you have. I'm not going to bring these things up. And we do a great disservice to people. Because the Bible says God is not a respecter of persons. His message is his message. I'm going to read a little section here. This is um, 2,000 Years of Christ's Power. It's volume one. Uh, if you ever want to know anything about church history, really awesome series. You can get into it. You don't have to have a college degree. He writes it really simply, which is great for me. Because anyone uses big words, I'm like, like when I use that word capitulate, dog, that was just, I maxed myself out on that word. I was like, bro, I am, I'm, I'm, I'm on like, I don't even know how to drive stick shift. I'm on sixth gear, right? I don't know, like third, what, what is it? Tell me a really awesome gear. None of you guys know. No one drives stick. Well, praise God. What? Sixth gear. Dot. I'm, Will told me sixth gear. I'm going to roll with that. <laughs> I got you, man. Black line. That's right, dog. I love you, bro. He called himself that at his wedding. Leave me alone. Okay. This is Dr. Nick Needham, right? A nice Scotsman. Really awesome dude. Uh, this is on, this is verse, verse, good God, I can't talk. Page. There we go. Page 82. Um. And this is him talking about the early church, the apostolic fathers, which is the uh, guys right after the apostles, right? So these are the guys who were raised up by John and Peter and James, right? These guys were so close to the time of Jesus and directly connected to the apostles themselves. And this is how, what they instituted in their churches. It says, uh, there were other aspects of Roman society that Christians opposed on ethical grounds, Right? They were, they were in Rome, and they opposed Rome. 
even though to oppose Rome would get you put on a cross, would get you fed to lions, would get you enslaved and murdered. But they did what God had called them to do regardless of opinion. For example, Christians condemned the most popular form of Roman entertainment, the gladiatorial arena, where men fought each other to the death. The church rejected such violence and the enjoyment of watching it as utterly contrary to Christ who came to give life, not to destroy it. They didn't sit by and just let these things happen. In fact, the gladiator stuff stopped because of Christians. Do you know that most of the guys who fought in the arena were slaves? They were forced to. They weren't there on their own. But the Romans thought it was awesome, right? There's this concept called bread and circuses. How do you keep the people happy? You give them a circus, which is like this, and you just feed them bread, right? Give them sweets and give them entertainment. Happens nowadays. We just lap it up. And we don't understand that a lot of these things that we uh, buy into are destroying us and are destroying our children, are destroying our morals and our ethics. And here's the hot button topic I'm going to get to because a lot of Christians are supporting this right now. And it makes me very angry. And I'm going to be as restrained as possible right now. But um, it's foolishness and it is demonic and it is not Christian. And do not call yourself a Christian if you support this. Christians also rejected the widespread custom of abortion, killing unwanted unborn children. In the second century, the Christian church was pro-life. Do not tell me otherwise. And infanticide, killing unwanted, newly born children, which is what they are trying to bring forward in legislation. The governor of West Virginia, or Virginia, excuse me, Ralph Northam, wants to impose after nine months abortion when the child is born to leave them on the table and if the parent doesn't want anyone to intercede in their life they will leave the child there until they die that is happening right now that is happening right now and christians are supporting it they opposed easy divorce which was at the time the normal roman practice tertullian remarked that roman women longed for divorce as if it were the natural consequence of marriage the christian view was that the only causes which would justify a divorce were adultery and the desertion of a believer by an unbelieving partner. Even then, the vast majority of Christians, right, goes forward into what the church would do with people who were, uh, weren't married again. But we don't need to talk about that. But he says down here in a little uh, section on the bottom, uh, it says, In a letter written by a loving pagan Roman husband to his pregnant wife, the husband says, If you give birth to a boy, let it live. If it is a girl, throw it away. Unwanted babies were simply thrown on the nearest rubbish heap and left there to die. Right there he talked about entertainment that is ungodly, but it's fine. We're cool with it, right? Talking about abortion, it's not fine. Infanticide, it's not fine. Divorce, it's not fine. It's not fine. It, it's not just okay. It's not, well, whatever, that's their opinion, that's their life. No, 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 it, especially with abortion, it's, it's someone else's life, and it's being celebrated. So are we really a part of God's kingdom? No one is saying go out there and pick it and tell people that they're going to hell. Or tell people that they're murderers or that they're disgusting. But are we saying anything? Are we willing to become uncomfortable for our God? When someone comes out and says, hey, truth is truth, brother, whatever you want. Are we sitting there saying, no, I'm sorry, that actually doesn't make any sense. Truth is not truth. I'm not going to let you leave here thinking that. I'm going to tell you about Jesus Christ who died for your sins and loves you. If you would give your life to him and live your life for him, he would change you forever. 
And that's what being a part of a kingdom is. It's understanding these things aren't suggestions. It is expected of us to do this. It is expected of us to oppose, not violently, but to oppose, to do something. So what are we doing? We don't have to be belligerent. We don't have to be rude. But we do need to oppose. Because if we don't, they're going to take it all. They seriously are. And if we think, no, stop that. That is, con- that is <laughs> what is it? That's comfort bias. You think it won't because it hasn't happened yet, but it will. In every other nation before America, it has always happened. It has happened every single time to any other nation in the world. And it will happen to us if we do not do something. Great things can happen in a nation because Christians rise up and do what they're supposed to do. Amen? With that, let's, 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 let's get into this. I, I don't have much to talk about. How much time do I have? I got 34 minutes to talk. I thought I had. That was great. Wow. Well, praise God. See, God is good. God's like, I'm going to slow down time for you, Pastor Thomas. See, he blessed me. Amen. Amen. I love you guys so much. But I've just, I've been, um, I've just been seeing so many Christians. I remember when, uh, when a gay marriage got, le- got uh, legalized. How many Christian groups on Facebook started coming together talking about how us as Christians both support gay marriage and believe it's biblical. So they're like, no, you want support. You want people to hate you. You want people to like you. You want a fan club. You want a fan club. You want to get invited to go speaking. You want to get your YouTube page big. You want to become an influencer. And that's the issue. Everyone wants to be an influencer. But, like, you are an influencer. You don't need a YouTube page, and you don't need to compromise, right? Be who God has called you to be in every avenue that you go to. Uh, Prince Joshua is incredible for this. I know he does awesome things now, but back when he's a security guard, how many people has he impacted, even as a security guard? Uh, how many people have we met in our church because he impacted them as a security guard? Uh, that guy convicts me often. And Pastor Wes, right, we got people who've come into our church like Aaron back there uh, because he preached the gospel at his Jimmy John's. Or you'd wake up and you'd go to work at 4 o'clock in the morning and bake bread and slice the meats and get all the vegetables ready, uh, you know, ready and set up and good to go. Um, and being faithful with his job there. And that's speaking volumes because he's a good steward with what God had given him. So let's be good stewards. Let's be faithful. Let's be men and women of God. And let's be men and women of conviction. Amen? Amen? Let's, let's have conviction. In a world that has none, let's be something different. That is how we will draw people to Christ. We're different. Amen? I'm going to go ahead and pray. Uh, Father, I just thank you for your word. Pray, God, that you would bless us, Lord, to um, understand what is being said. You're faithful, God. And Lord, we, we just love you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. So what's really important is, as we're getting into the Bible, I really hope um, we're understanding that there is so much going on here in the word, right? It's not simply just glossing over it. You're just like, oh, my God, okay, yeah, that's fine, right? Like, oh, I got my reading plan for the day, and I'm just going to read. Like, today was First Thessalonians chapter 4. All right, cool. Right, how many people are like, oh, yeah, that was me. You guys are behind then because I'm on it. Express reading plan. Can I get an amen, Pastor Eric? Holla. All right. Express. I was, doing it. I was like, man, I think this is just pride, God. I'm doing the regular classic reading plan. Like, God, I'm going to submit myself to you right now and do the express reading plan. And God has moved. Amen. It's good. <laughs> but to take the time to really understand what is being said, right? The last two sermons I've preached, this section I'm about to talk about, it's the same context. It's the same situation, but it's three chapters. 
Three chapters informed by the first four chapters. Just all in a row. And right after this, the next few chapters, directly affected by what is taught here in the Sermon on the Mount. It's important that we take our time to really understand what the Word of God is, is saying. I've been listening to a lot of, uh, you know, more Reformed guys. I really like Reformed guys. It just sometimes I, I'm not a big fan of a lot of the things that they say, but a lot of the stuff that they teach I, I, I love, but they've been talking with a lot of Mormons. Why the Mormons believe what they believe, a lot of times it's just, it, it is a failure to understand what the Word of God is saying. That's what a lot of people are. And I'm finding out that's what a lot of Christians are. People can't define what the Trinity is, right? That's so crucial. In my opinion, that's a, that's a non-negotiable. Or we're not taking the time to, and again, I'm not, I'm not trying to be rude, but I think it's indicative. It, it, we're not taking the time to really read what it says. I don't, I don't have a college degree, right? I, in, fa- in fact, I went to college for one year. I couldn't handle it, so I backed out, right? So why do I get to understand certain things, right? It, it's not because I'm special. We all get to understand, right? We all just got to put in just a little bit more. We just got to dig in a little bit more. We got to ask a few more questions. And so keeping that context in mind, right, Jesus comes in and, in this next section, there's a lot of um, little tiny things that he drops in. It kind of seems like it's like, like they're afterthoughts, but it's not. It's, it's more of the little tiny snippets he wants to teach. He throws them in there at the end, and then he ends with something very important. And so we're going to be jumping around from a lot of different points. Uh, so the, the, the first point Jesus comes to in this next section, right, he just comes out of not being anxious, knowing that God loves you, that God is for you, that God will provide for you, right? Knowing that, man, just seek God. And he will bring all the provision in your life. Seek first the kingdom of heaven, right? And his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you, right? It's in there. And moving on from there, right? This, this last verse, uh, Aaron, don't put it up because I didn't give it to you. Uh, 634, he says, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And then he moves on right into chapter 7. Chapter 7, verse 1. Judge not that you not be judged, Right? For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. I want to stop there really quick. That is, that is incredible right there, right? What's Jesus talking about? Us being high and mighty and thinking that we know better, thinking that our lives are better, thinking that we're this great paragon of virtue and wisdom and goodness, right? And we're judging them according to our own standards. Now, the Bible does talk about judgment. Paul especially talks about it in 1 Corinthians when talking about the church. There is judgment there. But it is a Christian to another Christian. It is a Christian holding another Christian to the standard of the gospel that we all adhere to. But right here, he's talking about, hey, hey, your life isn't okay. Therefore, you too will be judged with the unfairness you are giving them. Why? Because he's opposing the Pharisees' mindset. The Pharisees walk around like hypocrites, judging people when they themselves are living horrible, hypocritical lives. And that's what he's coming up against. And he brings it forward here more uh, in verse 3. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? And then we think, cool, don't correct me. you got problems in your own life. But check this out, verse 4. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your own eye, when there was the log in your own eye, right? I just, I talked about that. You hypocrite. Oh, Lord, help me now. First, take the log out of your own eye. Step-by-step process. Check yourself before you wreck yourself. That's what Jesus says right there, right? Because I'm bad for your health, right? I come real stealth. Drop on, okay, never mind, right? No. <laughs> I just say that like as, I don't know how to, as, as wide as possible. You're like, <laughs> check yourself before you wreck yourself because I'm bad for your health, right? Awesome. If anyone caught that on camera, I will find you and I will end you. 
it is what it is. My life's over. I got two kids. You know what I mean? But he says, you hypocrite, right? Not fun. You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye. And then, right, there is a step after. Right? Fix yourself. Check yourself. Okay? And then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Jesus is not saying, do not judge whatsoever. He says, make sure you are not being a hypocrite and you can see clearly, right? Meaning what? Accurately. Meaning you're actually taking the time to understand what's going on. Meaning out of a place of love, help clear your brother or sister in Christ. Help them with their walk. But first make sure you are doing better and you're not imposing your virtues on them. And that's what he's talking about right there. So Jesus is really bringing up proper accountability. Proper accountability. All the time we hear something about judge not. Judge not lest ye be judged. Okay, so did you read the rest of the verse? Did you memorize the rest of the verse or just the convenient part, right? <laughs> did you get a candy bar in kids ministry for that? Like, I'm just, I'm just, is that like all it is? Jesus wept. Aha, I know an entire verse in the Bible. Praise God. Amen. <laughs> Make you learn it in Greek, okay? And archaean and halagos. You know what I just said right there? In the beginning was the word. It's, it's great. Okay, yeah, anyways. Um, but he's saying, this is how we go about it. Amen? And then he moves down here. <laughs> this is lumped in on the same section in most of our Bibles. That doesn't make sense to me. But it is, right? And so the next section here, he says, do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. And, of course, these uh, two elements right here, dogs and pigs, really um, are uh, uh, attributed to the Gentiles because that's how the Jews saw the Gentiles, right? And so Jesus isn't saying don't talk to the Gentiles because he talks to the Gentiles. But rather it's the idea of the people who reject God, reject the gospel, right? He's saying here do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs. Not necessarily saying do not give them the gospel, but it's understand that there's a limit with what people who are not in God's kingdom uh, can, can understand with the things in your life, right? I, I, a lot of times, and, and this is really where it applies, I think, I'll talk to a lot of Christians who have a lot of friends who aren't Christians or a lot of family members. They'll be upset, like, dude, they just, they don't respect this in my life. They don't appreciate that in my life. They don't appreciate this in my life. And the question is, well, are you seeking for their appreciation, for their approval of those things in your life? And, you know, yeah. Why? They don't value the same things as you. They don't value the same things as you. Love them. Give them the gospel. Care about them. Yeah, talk about life, but do not expect them to celebrate things in your life, right? The Bible talks about guarding our hearts. We don't guard our hearts. We get offended when our family who doesn't know Christ rejects us. Of course they'll reject you. Jesus said, I did not come to bring peace but a sword. He said he came to divide the household. When we bring Christianity forward, people hate us, including our friends and our family. Sometimes spouses leave when one comes to know Christ. You guys know Chris Pratt, the guy who's getting every single role in Hollywood right now? He's going to be Garfield and Mario. Like, you know, God help him. I just don't get it, right? I love it. <laughs> Never mind. I'm not going to say it because someone died and they're going to give the, the role to him as, as a joke. But no, um, I'm, I'm not going to say who died. But um, his wife left him when he became a Christian. And he stayed strong, and he stayed faithful, and people tried to slander his, him all the time. And, but, but he just, he simply became a Christian because God 
moved on their behalf and saved their child when their child was born with a health issue. And he gave his life to Christ. And she didn't want to walk that same path. And there's a division right there. And you know what? I honor that man. And that really sucks that that happened. But it didn't cause him to compromise, and he continued to walk with Christ. And, and, and that's, that's a great lesson right there. Following God will cost us. And I think a lot of the time, right, we, we look around and, man, these people aren't really walking with God anymore. Well, the, the reason why is because they can't handle the stress, the stress of people not appreciating what you do all the time, your family not approving of what you're doing. People think you're wasting your time. They can't handle that strain and that pressure. We have to. So that's why the Bible says, count the cost. Moving forward, <clears throat> this little next section is a really awesome, and it really highlights God as a father and how much he loves us. Pastor Eric, am I good on time? Am I at? Dog, awesome. All right, verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Jesus saying, don't sit around. Do something. Seek God. Ask. Seek. Knock. Sometimes that means getting up and putting feet to faith, right? I don't, I don't believe that it is our works that things come to pass. Right? People say, oh, God helps those who help themselves. Aspects of that, I think, yeah, reasonable. But I think it's a person-by-person basis. If you've been walking with God for years and years and years, and, and is God going to answer you the same way that he answers a newly saved convert? Right? We have to be able to understand these situations differently. God touches us personally, and he moves on us. Personally, God disciples us. And so we cannot sit around and say, well, it worked out for them, it worked out for them. Why is it not working out for you? Are you doing your due diligence that God has called you to do? Because he expects something of you. Because he has honored you by putting an expectation. The God of the universe has put an expectation upon you. That is an honor. That is so incredible. Are we being faithful with the expectation God has put upon us? And that's something we have to ask ourselves. Only you can really answer that, right? Um, For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. But it's not happening right now. Yeah, Jesus covered that in one of the other Gospels, right? But it talks about the woman and the uh, wicked judge. She continually bothered the judge over and over and over and over. Finally, the judge gave her justice because he would not leave her alone. Amen, right? Finally, I took out the trash. What? Oh, sorry. Hey, Jesse, I love you. Um, <laughs> joking she only asked me like twice and it was great and it was all in boxes and I carried it out it was awesome (laughs) but then Jesus says how much more your father who's a good judge will he answer you amen there's no promise in there it happens immediately so Jesus is now bringing up the point of persistence and endurance and being comfortable with approaching your God in this manner You're not being disrespectful. He is expecting us to approach him. Amen? There is an expectation put upon us by God to consistently come to him, to ask him, to approach him. That is our honor. You understand that? That's why I love the book of Esther. It highlights so many aspects of God. When you would approach the king, I believe it was King Ahasuerus, I don't really remember his name. When, she, when, when you come in, if the king doesn't like raise his scepter, I believe it is, then you can't come in. But Esther needs him in a moment, and she runs in. He never raises his scepter, and everyone goes, oh, he's going to have her killed. But because of his love for her, he allows her. That is her right. 
That's our right as the bride of Christ. That is our right to approach our God. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? I don't even really need to talk about that. That's incredible. How many times has God blessed you and you just don't deserve it? Or how many times have you tried and just failed and still God met you there? Well, what about all the times that I failed and God didn't meet me? Yeah, he did meet you. He taught you a valuable lesson. We cannot devalue the lessons we learn through failure or through silence or through suffering. The Bible talks about how much goodness can come of that. In fact, the Beatitudes are full of that. We think it's only when we feel happy, when our endorphins are high. No, it is all aspects of our life. God is blessing us with opportunity. I had a youth pastor back in the day. He said, there is no such thing as a bad example. Every example in your life is a good example because it teaches you something. Every moment, whether good or bad, is good. And it is of God and is from God. Amen? Going forward, uh, verse 12. <laughs> I love this. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Hey, give them the law and the prophets, right? They got the law and the prophets, right? Well, okay, yeah, amen. That's his, like, hardcore Turner Burn message right there, All right? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, right? Uh, we always hear that, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, right? And we go, okay, cool, like, you know, whatever, Grandma. You know, like, it's cool, whatever. But um, we don't understand that actually Jesus said that. From the voice from the mouth of the king himself. It is not about them. I'm not concerned with them. I'm concerned with you. I get that they did X, Y, and Z. What did you do? And here's a question I've asked someone, right? I, I was counseling a, a, a guy, and, you know, it, it, it didn't pan out the way that I would have liked it to, right? The way I would have liked it to is I would like it if, when you counsel people, they get it, and their lives are better, and they move forward, and they understand that God loves them, and they become the person that God has called them to be, but uh, this, this, this guy didn't. And he's bringing up all these issues in his life. And I was hearing him, and I was like, dude, my heart's breaking for you right now. That's awful. But then I asked him a question that apparently was a no-no. I said, at any point through all of this, did it ever strike you that maybe if all these people are saying and doing these things, there's ever one single aspect of truth in there? I get people made you feel awful. They humiliated you. They treated you like garbage. That's rude. Was there anything in there that perhaps they had a point about? Because I don't think that they're doing it out of nowhere. Is there something else going on? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. All right. So, so I'll ask you. When people speak ill of you, right? Uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm not taking that. That's not what God's speaking over me. Okay. I agree. But as Jesus said earlier, and I spoke about this another week, uh, a couple weeks ago, um, um, when he talks about forgiveness... And how if you actually do owe a debt, uh, you will not be forgiven that debt until you pay that debt. That Jesus expects that if someone is speaking ill of us, and it is true, there's something upon us. There's an expectation upon us to fix something in our lives. To check ourselves before we wreck ourselves. Amen. So let us do unto others as we would have them do unto us. And do our best to be blameless. And when we are not, even when a person is not a Christian to apologize and repent to them because God's law is universal. It does not matter if it's to a Christian or not. We repent, right? 
And then, of course, this little section right here is uh, very important. Verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. Right? The easy path is the path that leads us to destruction. And those who enter it are many. And that's an awful thing to hear. Path of destruction is the way to hell. And many are on that path. And that is that's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Right? Jesus isn't promising us an easy life, but he's promising us a fulfilling life. And he's promising us an eternity. And he's promising us a blessed life. And he's promising us a life that we can have joy. And we can have, honestly, this, this may sound weird, we can have pride in it. Right? Like, I, I can be proud of the life I have lived for God. But I can't necessarily be proud of the millions of dollars I made uh, uh, selling my morals or not putting God first. Right? I don't think it's wrong to be a millionaire. There's a lot of Christians who are millionaires. And that's awesome. God has blessed them. But if you have to reject Christ to get to your success... Wide and easy is the path to destruction. Narrow is the way. Verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. And that right there is so important. Man, these people make me feel good about myself. They talk to me in a way that I can understand. They do not care about you. Right? If we look at this, they're, they're ravenous wolves. They, they want to eat you. They want to devour your life. They want you to sustain them. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes grapes? Well, I don't believe you gather grapes, right? Anybody who doesn't understand architecture, a grate is a like little uh, kind of uh, like like network of like pieces of metal that uh, water goes through. Amen. Cool. Okay. Good. Good. We're all good. <laughs> this guy's not funny. <laughs> We're never coming back here again, honey. Uh, are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistle? That's a fun word, right? No, the answer is no. Jesus, obviously not, right? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. And you hear that right there. We cannot expect good things to come from a life that is rotten. We want good things to happen, right? Is our life good? Is our life right? Is our life healthy? Is our walk? Think about that, right? A tree, its roots. Where are our roots? I'm going to get a little charismatic here. Psalm 1, it says the wise man, the righteous man, is like a tree planted beside the river of living water, the river of God. What does that mean? If we understand anything about agriculture, those roots go into the bottom of the riverbed, and they drink of that water. Is that our source? Is God our source? And when you have to ask yourself, a person who's coming into your life, who's speaking into your life, right? who's mentoring you or who you're listening to or any of these things, right? Like, oh, I listen to this guy on YouTube. I listen to this guy. Cool. What's their theology on any of this stuff, right? What source are they drinking from? What's the fruit they're handing you? Like, this is a lot to think about. Yeah, that's the point. That's why we're being overwhelmed in this culture war, because we're not taking the time to understand these things. There is a spiritual battle at all times going on. At all times, we are fighting against our flesh, the desires of our flesh. Constantly, there are things that are trying to pull us into compromise. And if we allow it because it's easy, because it's wide, right? That's the path of destruction. That's what Jesus is saying. Guys, if you're mine, stay vigilant. 
That's why Peter says, stay sober. I'm sorry, Amelia. I'm so sorry. I'm going to stop yelling. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit. Nor can a, a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you'll recognize them by their fruits. The things that come out of our lives will be good. Amen? As we seek God, the things in our lives will be good. I know maybe you're not in a good place right now. As you seek him, he will clean you. He will prune you. He will take care of you. Moving on, um, this, is the, this is the rough part that I was talking about. It's so important. Because if we don't consider it, we will never be challenged. If we're never challenged, we will never know. We will never know who we are. Not everyone, verse 21, who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Not simply saying Jesus is Lord, doing his will. Yes, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. Cool. What's going on with your life? Do you have a changed life? It's not by works that you are saved. But as James says, the faith you have in God produces goodness out of your life. And that's important. In fact, Ephesians chapter 2, after it says, we are saved by grace through faith, not of good works, thus any man should boast. For we are God's workmanship, prepared ahead of time for good works. There's goodness that has to come out of our life. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name, do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And a lot of times we hear that, we just put it out of our heart, put it out of our mind. I just can't think about that right now. Think about that. I'm not asking people to be insecure about your faith. Think about that, right? Is it simply you're big and flashy and Right, like we talked about earlier, you put on the mask, you, you put on the face, right? You're saying all these things. Or genuinely, is it you have a changed life? And if that's not you, let it be you today. Amen? Sincerely, let it be you today. And at the end of service, which we're getting here pretty close to the end, I've only got about a couple more points to make. Um, find someone that you trust, find a leader, and pray with them. Say, God, I, I sincerely want to have a changed, resurrected life. I sincerely want to be the man or woman you've called me to be. And I don't, I don't know if I'm yours or not, God, but I, I desperately want to be yours. And day by day, walk with him. Day by day, fall down, get back up, keep moving. Amen? And going forward, and this is how Jesus wraps it up. And I love it. And after this, it's just action. After this, it's just, it's, it's an action movie, right? Like, I love the, the movie Black Hawk Down at the beginning. They go through the whole briefing. They get it all set up. The next, like, two hours of the movie, it is straight up just, like, gunfights and crazy stuff. And I, that's a great movie, by the way. Almost makes me cry every time. Almost. But it doesn't. Not quite. Not quite makes me cry, right? <laughs> Only Airbud. I, I don't know. Airbud, I, I, I've never seen Airbud. I've seen Airbud? Wow. Well, praise God for my mom contradicting me. You know, I got the money. That's fine, mom. You're supposed to set me up. <laughs> Everyone then. <laughs> Probably cried because you were beating me. Um, verse 24. Verse 24. Please, please. Shah, 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 okay. Verse 24. Everyone then, he's wrapping it up, right? This is the end. Sadiqa is just like tickled over this. She's like, that was the funniest thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> Verse 24. We all know this one, and again, it goes in through one year and out the other. And I, I'm not trying to be rude or uncharitable to anybody in this room. A lot of times when I say stuff like that, I'm speaking about myself. 
Because I have had, that's right, girl. Amen, Amelia. That girl's saved. A lot of times in my life, these things stop meaning anything to me. And I've really had to challenge myself with the word of God. And so I'm speaking from my own experience and from the experience I've had with a lot of Christians when I've asked them. A lot of Christians suffer with this. It's an epidemic. We don't, we don't trust the word. We don't, it doesn't really mean anything to us. And it's not malicious. There's not an intent behind it. It's just lost its value because my life isn't at jeopardy. My life is easy. And my opportunities are wide. Verse 24, everyone then who hears these words of mine, everything that I have preached in the greatest sermon, that's just the name of my sermon, it's not the greatest sermon, but if it happens to be the greatest sermon you've ever heard, praise God. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Hearing and reading what Christ has spoken and acting upon it, that is a wise person who has built their home upon a rock, a solid foundation that cannot be broken that cannot be worn down, that, that cannot change. It is everlasting. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall. It did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And not Dwayne, right? Can't stand Dwayne Rock Johnson. <laughs> Terrible CGI in The Mummy Returns, God. Oh, my God, help us all. Verse 26, and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them, and this is where the warning's at, does not do them, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And of course, people are like, and the sand is the thousands and millions and billions of tiny little grains of all the different things and cares in this world and thoughts that go through our mind. And we go, that's cool, right? I'll, I'll give the TBN. It's, it's fine. That's real, though. It, it, that's real. It's unstable. When the water comes in and it washes it off, it, it, it casts it out into the sea and it puts it, it's constantly changing. I don't know if you've ever stood and a giant uh, wave came and hit you. You get sucked right out. We almost lost Johnny when we remember. Oh, I had to hold on to his hand. He got sucked out by the tide. I was like, oh, hey, buddy. It's a good thing daddy was holding on tight. Otherwise, you were going to be bye-bye. <laughs> yeah, I know. That keeps me up at night sometimes. Okay. Uh, and the rain fell and the floods came. And the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell. Here's the rest of what Jesus has to say about that. And great was the fall of it. It wasn't simply just, oh no, he failed. It is catastrophic. Jesus is speaking about eternity in this moment. You put your house upon the rock. You build your life upon the rock, and he will keep you. That is why I believe there's no way to lose your salvation. If you are truly saved, you will live a life because God has changed you and you are now a good tree incapable of producing bad fruit. And your house is upon the rock and nothing will take it away. However, if your house is actually built on the sand, maybe you think it's built upon the rock, but it's not. And a lot of times we know it. When tragedy comes, it will wipe us out and we will have nothing to stand upon. For us, who love Jesus, who are truly his, when we stand before God, we hear these words, well done, my good and faithful servant, enter now into thy rest. If we do not know God, what do we hear? I never knew you. It says that they search the book of life. They look for you in the book. They look for your name. They search all the books, and you are not in them. Depart from me. Depart from me. 
And it says that the smoke, the burning, ascends ever and ever and ever upwards. That's a horrifying thought. God is real. God is real. And he has given his son, Jesus Christ, in our stead that we may know him because he loves us. He didn't have to pay for our sin, but he paid for our sin. And now he expects us to live a life worthy of the gospel, worthy of the calling that he has given us. And I think he is worthy of that, don't you think? But notice this, right? And, and this is where I will end, right? So, so of course, uh, the, the, the first week I came out and I talked about how Jesus speaks. And then I read you guys the little end part, right? Verse 28. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. Just, oh, this is incredible. We've never heard something like this before. Verse 29. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Someone who was intimate with the word of God and wasn't simply just lofting up, just bringing up all of the teachings of the Pharisees, putting yokes and bondage and, and maybe going around and, and, and repeating the word of God over and over and over and over and over again until it meant nothing. Jesus came out there and he spoke as the true living word of God. And it blew their minds. And this is what he does. Verse 8, sorry, chapter 8, verse 1. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately, his leprosy was cleansed. Jesus spends all this time teaching of the kingdom, bringing forth harsh truths, but then also loving, loving Moments of understanding that God is your father. He is not ashamed of you. He's not abandoned you. He wants to adopt you and be yours and walk with you. And though this life will be hard, you can talk to him and he will provide. And when he's done and he gives you the ultimatum and says, choose where you're going to build your home. Choose where you are going to reside. He comes down from the mountain and he goes to the most disgusting thing possible. I don't know if you guys have ever seen a person who, have, who has issues like this. I was working at a Starbucks, and a lady came in without a nose. And I did not, I, I just, I, I didn't anticipate that. And she didn't have a mask on or anything like that. And I simply looked up, and she was right there looking at me. And it scared me. It, truly, and I'm not trying to be insensitive. It scared me. It was gross. And I felt horrified. Right? And that's wrong, sure. But I was shocked. What does Jesus do? He goes down to a person more than likely doesn't have a nose, who probably smells terrible, who's rotting. What This leper, just nobody loves me. I live in a colony where everybody looks just like me. Everybody's falling apart just like me. Nobody can help me. If they touch me, they're unclean, right? And if I want to get close to people, I might kill them with the same thing I have. If you touch me, you'll be unclean. But if you can touch me, God, I, I know that you can heal me, Jesus. What does he say? He says, I will. Be clean. And he is healed. And that's important. That, that is a big <laughs> thing that we need to see right there. Is Jesus Christ speaks of the kingdom and then he demonstrates it. And so, so are we capable of that? Are we capable of hearing about the kingdom for the last few weeks and maybe going out and doing something about that? Pastor Wes and I actually, we're going to open up some, some time. Pastor Wes, if you want to come up here. And uh, we're going to pray. And if we need to see changes in our lives, right, if the worship team, if you guys want to come up here too, uh, if we want to see changes in our lives or if people need a healing, right, we're going to pray. 
We're going to seek God right now together. And, and we're not going to sit back in our, in our problems. We're, we're going to get up and we're going to pray. And Yeah, Pastor Wes and I can pray, but, but you guys can also pray. And, and we're just going to pray and we're just going to seek God right now. And we're just going to glorify God, amen. And we're just going to believe that, that his kingdom can be applied. And when it is applied, we see power. Amen. We see changes in our lives and in our circumstances, right? When we pray for those who we love, who are our family members, God will change them. He is faithful to change them. Before my brother lost his life, he accepted Jesus Christ into his heart. And now I know that when I go to heaven, I will stand shoulder to shoulder with my brother, who nobody would have expected was capable of giving his life to Christ. Amen. If God can do it for me, for my family, he can do it for your family as well. But not only that, we've heard so many testimonies of people being healed, of seeing things changed. If you feel like it is just hopeless, it's not. It's not. It's either there's hope or this is just wrong. This is just wrong and we should just throw it in the trash. But is that what we're saying? Is this empty? No, of course it's not empty then there's something to it. There's something to Jesus teaching about the kingdom and then going to the least of these and blessing them and, and not being corrupted by them, but them being purified by him. Amen? So let's, let's do something about it. Uh, if you guys want to, you, know, you just want to go ahead. Um, I'm going to pass it over to Pastor West because he's uh, much more suave with all this stuff than I am. But uh, can I just pray with everybody really quick? I don't, I grab my, my Starbucks like, oh, this is just really going to bless me right now if, if we pray with my Starbucks in my hand. Um, Father, I just, I thank you, God. Um, these are harsh things, Lord, for all of us to hear, God, for, for myself to hear, Father. Um, I just, God, we just repent to you, Lord, um, for not understanding your holiness, God, and how much you have loved us, and how much, God, you have given us, God, and the awesome responsibility and the opportunity, God, and the expectation, God, that these are not weights and burdens, God. This is glory, Father. You've given us glory, Father. And that we are yours. Lord, we love you. And we pray, God, that you would just move, God. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.